a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, there are days when I ask myself, why do I do this? No, seriously, as I get up, I get up early in the morning, early, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock. And it's usually because my mind kicks in and starts working. I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. I, I see who's on social media. I see who's, you know, also burning the midnight oil. But there are days when I'm just like, you know, does this do any good? Is, is this actually, is this providing value to anybody? Is it, uh, is it bringing light is it bringing encouragement? Or am I just waking up early so I can sit and rant for a little while? And, hey, here's, here's what I think about this. I'm the old man yelling at a cloud. And, uh, you know, I guess I feel better for it. But I do sincerely hope that uh, in some way, reveling in wrong think is, uh, is rubbing off on you in a positive way. Whatever the reason that you're tuned in, I do appreciate it. I, I, I really appreciate you uh, tuning in. A lot of good stuff to talk about today. Let me first of all start by mentioning the sponsors who make this program possible. They include ClimbingUpward.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com. By the way, if you check on uh, the BrianHydeShow.com on my website, you'll see a nice banner ad, some really killer specials right now. If, you are, uh, if you're into food storage, and emergency preparedness, might want to check that out. Also, Borelli.com and TMCPNation.com. So a couple of things I want to mention just right off the bat. This is just a couple of, couple of news headlines that uh, one of them I find very encouraging. We'll start with that one. This is the good news. Tucker Carlson uh, apparently uh, launched his, his uh, inaugural Twitter episode uh, or his Twitter show, Tucker on Twitter. He had 20 million views within a few hours, like three or four hours, 20 million views. Now, I think on a good night, I think, I think his, his average audience on Fox was around 3 million, maybe 5 million. I think, I'm thinking it was closer to 3 million viewers. Just kind of makes you wonder, is, is Twitter going to be the, the platform Look, I know there are people who, who still question, and, and frankly, there are some good voices out there. C.J. Hopkins is one of them who speaks truth, actually writes truth, in, in ways that apparently are pretty inconvenient, even, even for uh, some of the folks running things at, at Twitter. Nonetheless, with, at the risk of uh, sounding like I'm just being a shill for Twitter, you sure do get a lot more unfiltered information there than elsewhere. Is it perfect? No. No, it's not. And frankly, over the weekend, as, or I guess it was the end of last week, Matt Walsh was uh, offering the uh, What is a Woman documentary for free on Twitter. And there were still people who were trying to censor it. Oh, this is sensitive information. This is hateful content. This may violate our community standards. I think somebody actually resigned from their job at Twitter because they were trying to throttle it down. By the way, how many people did tune in to watch uh, What is a Woman? Last I saw, it was over 140 million views. Very interesting. So, I don't know. I don't want to sound like an Elon Musk fanboy and, oh, he, he has saved us. <laughs> but it does appear that uh, 
There's more free speech to be found on this social media platform than elsewhere. Make of that what you will. I'm going to be looking at it a little more closely. And I, I lurk on Twitter. I do some retweeting and liking and sharing and whatnot. But uh, I really have tried to limit how much time I spend on social media just because it can become such an all-consuming thing. It's, it's a reward center for your brain addiction, right? Somebody likes or comments on something. Oh, oh I got a little hit of dopamine. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, now I got to go find another one. What's another sick meme that I can share or whatever? Okay, so there's the first story. That's the good news. Now, this may be good news as well, but I think there's there's a tinge of, of danger in this good news. And, and that is, uh, I, I don't know if you saw this out of Glendale, California. There are families that have uh, showed up, Armenian American families, who showed up to protest LGBTQ um, activism and uh, particularly the, the things that were being taught to kids in, in the schools. By the way, this is also happening in Massachusetts. It was Muslim and Islamist families that showed up to protest that the, the school system won't let their kids opt out of mandatory LGBTQ plus indoctrination. Well, in the case in California, these uh, Armenians had shown up and were, were protesting before. I guess they had a little clash over the weekend with uh, um, Antifa had shown up, you know, to, to, you know, raise the flag for all that is freaky and, and wrong. And uh, anyway, the Armenians, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to sound too admiring when I say this, but they, they were beating the crap out of Antifa. The police had to, to rush in and rescue Antifa. And I'm not going to suggest, you know, violence is the solution. This is, you know, what would Porter Rockwell do anyway in a situation like this? But it's encouraging to me to see that there are people who are willing to stand up, and I mean really stand up. You know, Antifa was there to, to threaten violence. That just goes wherever they go. They're violent. But we're not supposed to notice that, right? Because it's left-wing violence and therefore mostly peaceful, or at least I think that's, that's how the, uh, the, the narrative is supposed to read. But those Armenian Americans, holy cow, they've had enough. And I guess that's it to me. That's the good news is we are seeing people reaching the point where they are standing up and decisively saying, okay, we've had enough. We've had enough of this, this counterculture, perverse dogma forced down our throats and we're just not going to take it anymore. And, and it's not so much even the adults that are like, you know, hey, you know, you want to be freaky? You go be freaky. But when you start aiming this at kids and insisting kids, you have to be a part of it. No, that's not a good idea. And people are, are to the point now where they are fighting mad about it. And I'm going to go on the record and say, although I don't endorse, you know, yes, violence is the answer to every question. It's it, It's not. But I'm very grateful to see that there are people who are willing to stand up and fight for their kids rather than just, well, you know, the left knows that we're supposed to be good, passive people and, you know, love one another and whatnot. They've drawn a hard line. And those leftists who pushed right up to that line got their teeth knocked in as a result. I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. You know, the police were there to rescue him. The police are there to do the bidding of the powers that be, which are unquestionably on the side of the uh, Rainbow Mafia. But I'm just grateful to see that there are people who've had enough. 
You know, there's there's such a clear escalation going on. We're going to talk a little bit about that in in the show today. Um, I don't know why, other than I believe it's it's there to provoke you know another Matthew Shepard type incident, so that uh, you know the the mantle of victimhood can be forever you know sealed upon these these uh, folks from the Rainbow Mafia. I mean, the human rights campaign. Just, I believe it was just yesterday they issued, you know, some kind of a huge alert. We are in greater danger than ever before. What a lie. They have never enjoyed greater support from government, from business, from the media, from academia. Even corners of religion have knuckled under and are giving their support. Oh, but we are in so much danger. I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, not wanting to engage in hyperbole here, but... If if they uh, if they gain any more inroads into any more institutions, um, I think we're going to find ourselves, in a very literal sense, ruled by demons. And notice that the family—that's the one institution that so far has been able to mostly withstand these attacks. But that's where they're aiming. That is that is where the aim is, and whatever can be done to cause the disintegration of the family. That's what's happening. That's a very, very dangerous place to go. And again, this is no call to violence, but it's a call to awareness that uh, you you ought to be aware of what's going on. And I believe that there are some things that, uh, that are important enough and precious enough that they deserve to be defended. And in that case, I think defensive violence against aggression, especially wicked aggression, I think it is often justified. I think it is justified. I think God would expect us to stand up for our children and defend them to the death if necessary. I just never believed I would live in a time where there would be people wicked enough and stupid enough to push us to that point. But I think we're seeing it happen. And I don't say that with any sense of satisfaction or of sense of, yay, you know, let's, uh, let's go knock heads in the street. It's, it's a tragedy at any level. Oh, and it's an official tragedy in that uh, right now we're being told everybody's going to bend the knee. Everybody is going to say this is good and it's natural and it's normal. I'm just glad there are some people still with the courage to draw the line and say No. And if you are one of those people, I want to assure you, you are not on the wrong side of history. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, I got uh, I got a commentary here I want to share with you from Jeff Thomas from International Man. Saw this, I believe, over the weekend on the Lou Rockwell website. If you haven't checked out LouRockwell.com, that's that has been one of my daily uh, web page visits. Uh, oh, holy cow! For twenty some years now, just because there's so much good information there, and this is one of those uh, topics. I know it's it's uncomfortable. It's a topic very few of us wish to acknowledge, much less to sit and think about. But what do we do when COVID tyranny returns? Well, Jeff Thomas has, I think, a pretty thoughtful take on this. He says, recently a colleague commented, I am still truly angry about what happened to me and my family 
because of our refusal to take the vaccine in Canada. I never believed Nazi Germany was possible again until COVID. Now I know it is possible and likely will happen again, only next time the gloves will be off and there will be nowhere to hide. Now, Jeff Thomas says he's correct in each of his points. First, there can be no question that the COVID scam was used to create tyranny in globalist countries. Although the other countries overreacted, there's mixed evidence as to whether their leaders sought tyranny or whether they were just trying to exercise caution by copying the policies imposed in the globalist countries. Therefore, the level of actual force by governments varied. Second, the globalist first world countries introduced a joint program that was akin to the Nazi effort beginning with Kristallnacht, and there can be little doubt that this was intentional. A campaign to manufacture irrational fear and demand obedience far beyond what might have been necessary for a mere virus. Third, whether the globalists intend to revisit COVID with a further viral emergency or not, that's not really the point. COVID was a highly successful dry run into tyranny. Whether the next emergency is to be justified by a virus, warfare, or economic collapse is immaterial. The implementation of globalism requires tyranny to succeed, and the clock is ticking on the next excuse for a lockdown. Now, he says it's not surprising, then, that those who recognize that a further, more all-encompassing tyranny is on the way are likely to ask, where do I go? Will I be caught out, no matter where I am? And if so, why not just stay where I am? Well, Jeff Thomas says, now that the dust has settled on the COVID scam, the answer to this quandary may be found by looking back on how COVID played out in a variety of locations around the globe. Was the outcome uniform, or did it vary? And if the latter, was this significant enough that I owe it to my family to relocate before the next wave of tyranny is on our doorstep? Jeff Thomas is having tracked the behavior in dozens of countries during and following COVID. My first observation is that there were unquestionably layers of tyranny. It became clear over time that there was a coordinated push in the first world globalist countries like the U.S., U.K., E.U., Australia, Canada, Japan, and New Zealand a verifiable effort to impose uniform restrictions with uniform rhetoric by the media to back up the oppression. Now, he says this was less so in other countries. Those closest to the globalist countries tended to mimic their policies without seeming to do so with zeal. There was a mood of, we don't understand any of this, but we want to be safe. Tell us what to do. Those who were the least attached to the globalist countries, either through trade or culture, tended to deviate even more from globalist diktat, in some cases defying it. He says in this regard, it became clear that each country that was not fully invested in the globalist cabal tended to react in keeping with their respective cultures. Now, the U.S. was predictably the spearhead for globalist mandates. Self-absorbed crusaders came out in force as they do over every issue, making the U.S. one of the worst places to be. Not only were people pressured to get each vaccination, regardless of a lack of evidence of effectiveness. Shaming of those who were unvaccinated peaked in the U.S. with a campaign that emphasized a Gestapo-like pandemic of the unvaccinated. We saw something similar in the closest allies of the U.S., the other countries listed above. However, he says the further out we ventured from the globalist center the more each nation reacted in accordance with its natural culture rather than with globalist diktat. So in Thailand, an orderly program was created that most people complied with, yet there was a minimal push for greater controls. 
This was not surprising, as in Thailand, most people take up what the government puts in place, and the rest are on their own. There's nothing in the limited national budget to pursue them. Thailand was therefore a good country to simply not take part in the imported hysteria. Similarly, in Uruguay, most people observe a high degree of compliance with their minimally corrupt government. Most people therefore went along with the vaccinations, and Uruguay was one of the most highly vaxxed countries in the Americas. But Uruguayans even have, have a strong distaste for meddling in the private affairs of others. Therefore, even with a high level of vaxxing, very few people would have the bad manners to question their neighbors as to whether they'd been jabbed. So Uruguay became a good country to live in, to fly under the radar, unvaccinated. So he says, it's not ideal, but I'd settle for that. In the Cayman Islands, people have always expected newcomers to come in with a good bill of health or stay away. But they will vote out any politicians who dictate to Caymanians. As a result, Cayman's government shut down tourism for a year, but no politician dared to suggest a vaccine mandate for locals for fear of losing office. The expats were the only people attempting to shame those who didn't get vaxxed. Again, not ideal, but workable. Now, this one kind of surprised me, but he says in Mexico, the populace has a long history of distrust of authority and is inclined to defy the central government at the drop of a hat. Consequently, the Mexican government allowed its people access to all vaccines and traditional treatments, such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, but still made no edicts about their use. There were no mandates of any kind, in fact, no testing required, even for travelers in and out of the country. Now, this may surprise you, but Mexico ended up being the freest country in the Americas regarding COVID. So Jeff Thomas says COVID was a dry run for globalism. Those who managed to avoid the vax dodged a bullet, but he says, like my colleague in the opening paragraph, they were left with the understanding that while the COVID scare may be over, the intent of globalists to impose tyranny is not. COVID was merely a dry run, a crystal knock that's the first installment in a plan for all-encompassing tyranny. And as troubling as this realization is, he says we can benefit from it by understanding that while the tentacles of globalism do seek to dominate all corners of the globe, they're less effective than they'd like to be. The world at large does not perform uniformly to the globalist edict. And it matters little whether we see another manufactured viral emergency or whether the next globalist attempt at dominance is justified by unnecessary warfare or by a now overdue first world economic collapse. The COVID scam has revealed that the worst place to be in a crisis is right at the center of the storm, by which he means the first world. Interestingly, Uruguay sat out two world wars and the Great Depression almost totally unaffected. They simply didn't participate and the country bypassed all three crises. In the colonialist period, attempts were made to colonize nearly every country in in Southeast Asia. Yet Thailand was passed by. As such, to this day, Thais tend to ignore the edicts of the West more than any other Asian nation. Hmm, Good to know. So he says there's no perfect place in the world, but there are locations where the odds of being victimized by the latest Hitler, Robespierre, Idi Amin, etc. are considerably less. Regardless of the comfort of the familiarity of our birth country, he says if it's a first world country, we're located in the center of the storm that's now underway. If we establish a bolt hole in another country, our environment will surely change. There may be no Starbucks. There may be no baseball game to watch. 
but there's the likelihood that we can provide for ourselves and our families and, and provide us with a greater possibility of continued quality of life than by remaining in a location where a significant decline in freedoms is a near certainty. Now, I don't know, maybe you're like me and you think, well, that's just not a possibility. I'm an American and I'm going to stay here and I will fight to the bitter end. And actually, that is kind of where I'm coming from. I have no desire to leave what I consider the promised land. But I think Jeff Thomas's warning is, in fact, well-founded. And I think that uh, the possibility of tyranny is far greater here than it is other places. I guess I don't, uh, I don't disagree with those who decide to expatriate. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, I'm trying to walk a very fine line here. And, uh, you know, you'll take heat from all sides. Just because of how contentious right now the uh, the whole uh, rainbow flag issue is. And, and by that, I'm just talking about the, the whole enforced pride month. It's... It's unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. And even five years ago, there there seemed to be at least some degree of, look, you know, if this isn't your thing, if you don't want to let your freak flag fly, you know, just don't participate. But some of the stuff, you know, people were warning, you know, hey, this is being aimed at kids or this is, this is trying to find its way into our schools. And some of the stuff that I have seen come out, and just, you know, these are just short videos that have popped up on Twitter, but I'll give you an example. Um, I believe it was a school in, I want to say it was in uh, California, an elementary school. And the kids are showing up to school. And the teachers, the staff, all dressed in rainbow outfits and unicorns, and they're dancing and they're singing. And it's like the whole school was one great big LGBT indoctrination center now again i i have no problem with leaving people to to pursue happiness how they want to pursue it this doesn't seem like uh, hey it's live and let live this is like we're going to train these kids in what to think starting at the youngest possible age and it's exactly what to you know oh here comes the far right warning about you know the gays are trying to take over but it's exactly what, what people were warning about for the last five or ten years. This is trying to find a place in our schools, and it's becoming indoctrination. It's just, it's out in the open now. And I know it's bad manners to say, told you so. But uh, the folks who were warning have every right to do so. The other clip I saw, this also from California, no big surprise there. It was a family-friendly pride parade. This was over the weekend. And I, I won't be too graphic in describing this, but it, here comes a pickup with a couple of guys dressed in all the full leather S&M regalia. One guy is strapped to kind of a makeshift cross in the back of a truck. He's, uh, he's, he may have on a thong. I don't know. There's a bare butt sticking out there and, and a leather daddy whipping him with a cat of nine tails and, you know, this is the family-friendly version as it's driving by. So when I say we are, we are in bizarro world, reality's being inverted, and of course, the, the message here too is if you stand in the way of their agenda, you will pay a price. 
Now, I was talking with uh, with Eric Peters yesterday on the program about the high school student in Kellogg, Idaho, who told his fellow students, guys are guys and girls are girls. And the fallout of that statement still having uh, having impact. By the way, I also heard, you know, the, the audio tape. Thankfully, the bus driver who was fired for showing up at a rally on, on Friday morning to support Travis Lohr. He was called in and he, he had the, the presence of mind to start recording on his phone. And when he was asking, you know, the school district official who's telling him, well, you're fired. He was asking, why is that? Well, because you're a district employee. But he says, I, I was off the clock. I was not there as a district employee. Well, you were on district property. So what? He says, do I not have First Amendment rights? Well, that has nothing to do with the First Amendment. I'm just typical deflection. But they fired him because he was supporting this kid who stated guys are guys and girls are girls. And there's nothing in between. Or there is no in between. Now, of course, the kid was denied the opportunity to walk at graduation. His uh, summer job, which was to be fighting uh, wildland fires, rescinded, again, because it's it's a state agency or it's a government agency that fights those wildfires. It uh, just so happens the guy in charge happens to be married to one of the teachers at uh, Kellogg High School. So this is, uh, this is how... Rep- uh, is it Senator or Representative? I'm sorry, Heather Scott. She's a legislator here in Idaho. She summarized what we've witnessed so far. And she says, a student speaks a scientific truth at a school assembly, right? Guys are guys, girls are girls. There is no in between. Science denier adult teachers are offended. That student was punished and forbidden to participate in graduation. Parents, students, and community members voiced their concerns in peaceful protest The school then fired an off-duty bus driver for joining that peaceful protest. The Shoshone County Sheriff's Office informed the school of concerns about safety. That's in quotation marks. And the school postponed graduation, or at least said they were going to postpone graduation for the safety of all students. By the way, that turned out to be a lie because they went ahead and had the graduation anyway, just in secret. Where are the adults? Do we have grown-ups anymore in any positions of authority? And again, this is small-town Idaho. This is not the Boise metropolitan area where you expect this kind of freaky behavior. If it's happening there, it can happen anywhere. Oh, and it's also very interesting to notice that the legacy media here in Idaho, absolutely silent. They're not talking about this. Well, if, it doesn't, if we don't say it, then it doesn't exist. I guess that's how, how they prefer to look at it. It's national news. It's been picked up by other national outlets. But it doesn't fit the, the media, you know, narrative of, well, you know, we have more important things to report on. Like how doctors are leaving Idaho because they can't provide abortions the way that they would like to. Which, by the way, that's also a lie. That's just, you know, Idaho has a, a very restrictive abortion law as do some other states, now that it's back to the states to decide whether they, you know, abortion is a free-for-all or there are some, some restrictions on it. The good news is this. Legacy media, at least in Idaho, it's a dead man walking. I'm happy to see that it's finally becoming irrelevant. And, and if that sounds like, well, that sounds personal. You got an ax to grind with them? I do in the sense that I know there are people who want to know what's going on. 
And when there are organizations or individuals that are deliberately trying to distort the news or omit the news or omit information that would allow people to draw informed conclusions, yeah, I have a huge problem with that. That's deceptive. That's deception at work. And that's, that's evil. Particularly because it's trying to keep people in the dark so as to, to gain greater control over them or to allow the people who want g- greater control over them to be able to realize that. And this is just one example. I mean, it's just, we're, we're being pushed with an agenda that is not only at odds with reality, but it's also at odds with morality. And this doesn't mean that, you know, we need to grab our Bibles and pitchforks and torches and go on a moral crusade. But I think we need to have a very clear understanding that right is right and wrong is wrong. And right now there is a very decided effort to blur that line. And if you think, well, I'm just going to safely sit here on the uh, sidelines and <laughs> I'm not going to have to uh, not going to have to worry about it. You're wrong. There is no safe quarter. You will not be left alone. And if you dare to speak up, and I don't care how politely you speak up, you will be targeted, you'll be ridiculed, and punished for holding a contrary point of view. Now, for a lot of people, that's enough to to buy their silence, or at least to intimidate them into silence. I know that it's it's tempting, you know. Well, you know, people who just uh, people who are, are drawing attention to themselves by by not being on board with this message, they're just out there to get attention. I don't think that's true. There may be some, right? There may be some people who just want the social media presence. I think the majority of them, though, are sincerely trying to do the right thing. And and look, who who knows? Is there a one right way that you can stand up for what's right? I don't think that there is. I think it can, can, it can come in a lot of different forms. But if there is one uniform truth that applies across the board, it's that no matter how politely, no matter how diplomatically or gently you try to stand for the truth, someone is still going to be offended, deeply offended, maybe to the point of violence or threatening violence. So you better be willing to, to suffer. You better be willing to take the blows If you're going to stand for anything and if you're not willing to do that, okay, you know, you're not alone. There are a lot of people who just, that's just not their thing. But I suspect if you are the kind of person who, first of all, would tune in this program and secondly, would continue listening to this point, you're probably made of stronger stuff than that. Anybody with a pin and a threat isn't going to own you by threatening to call you names or otherwise, you know, uh, disagree with you in some ugly sort of way. By the way, I do believe that for for those of us who do want to stand for for what we believe to be true, I think it's incumbent on us to conduct ourselves with a high standard of behavior, meaning we can't be the ones out there hurling profanity and threats, and we can't be out there, you know, bashing heads in the street. If our goal is to help illustrate the difference between light and darkness, we got to conduct ourselves like people who are bearing light. Does that make sense? You got to take the high road, even if it's a little rockier and a little more painful than the other road. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. All right. Two articles I want to touch on in this final segment here. This first one is from intellectualtakeout.org. Walker Larson is the author. And it's about madness. Well, it's called This Way Madness Lies, Transgenderism and Linguistics. And since uh, since language has so much to do with, with shaping the way that we see the world, this is, this is a very thoughtful essay. Walker Larson says, The ordinary acceptation of words in, their re- in relation to things was changed as men thought fit. He's actually quoting Thucydides uh, in the history of the Peloponnesian War. Now, War- Walker Larson says, Those lines written some 2,400 years ago carry remarkable relevance for today as we witness contemporary society committing the same error of the Corsarians that Thucydides commented on. It's a deadly error with the potential to precipitate cultural suicide. When a culture no longer distinguishes between such basic realities as male and female, when the word woman can refer to a man who's undergone surgical disfigurement and wears dresses, that culture is leaning toward the precipice. Transgenderism's ultimate roots are not in political activism, but in an attack on language and therefore rationality itself. That is why we simply cannot legislate our way out of this madness. He says a madman doesn't need the help of a policeman or a senator as much as he needs the help of a psychiatrist or a poet or maybe an exorcist. Our modern disorientation runs much deeper than a strange new fad of claiming to be the opposite sex, although maybe maybe that is its most prominent symptom at present. But it's a philosophical problem manifesting in a linguistic revolution. And he says this linguistic revolution began as far back as the 13th century, when William of, Ockham, of Ockham's nominalism triumphed over Thomas Aquinas's realism. So to give a somewhat simplified definition, nominalism is a belief that concepts have no real existence. They're just names or terms that we make up, such as humanity or justice or green. Words, at least conceptual ones, don't actually relate to reality. Revolution, the revolution accelerated in the 20th century with the work of linguist Ferdinand de Saussure and his followers called structuralists. Saussure taught that the link between a word and a concept was arbitrary, random, and therefore changeable. Now, in the 1970s, Saussure's followers took things a step further. For them, the thing we call reality is itself shaped by this arbitrary system of language. These structuralists argued that, argued that language creates reality Language does not just describe an established objective reality. And if language is made up of arbitrary signs that we decide on and reality is shaped by language, broadly speaking, then through our words we can shape reality. I think this is what Charlie Reese used to describe as word magic. If I call you this number, or I call you this label rather, you are exactly that uh, what, what I've called you. If I say you're a bigot, you are automatically a bigot. That's something that only works for people who believe in word magic. Now, Walker Larson says, if the previous paragraphs seem a bit go incoherent, that's because these theories of language are at their core illogical and chaotic, not to mention dangerous. By cutting language off from reality, the structuralists open the door to the manipulation of language by political activists who can use it not to change reality itself, as they claim, but to change people's perception of reality. And that's where the great danger to culture and society in general, is found. When we abandon the truth that words have real, fixed meanings and connection to realities external to our minds, 
We open the door to confusion, chaos, and even evil. We undercut the foundations of society. Due to our attack on language and objective meaning, we increasingly lack a common currency of understanding in our interaction with the world and with one another. It's pretty powerful stuff. By the way, I'm going to let you discover the rest of this article for yourself. There is a quote from there that I believe it's, it's attributed to, um, I think it's attributed to Confucius. The beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper name. And Walker Larson says to be out of one's right mind is to live in a false reality, to suffer delusions, to misidentify things and oneself. So if you want to be, if you want to be standing on solid ground, you got to be willing to call things by their proper name. All right, one final essay. This was a great one from AmericanGreatness.com. And this is from James Patrick Riley, Pride Celebrations and the Law Written on the Heart. Subtitle is, if we don't stop this false compassion and this outrageous indulgence, it's only going to get worse. He says, picture yourself as a young parent with three small children in tow, and as you pass through the entrance gates of Disneyland with your debit card recently shorn of more than $500, you charge off to what's left of Frontierland in the hopes of seeing Daniel Boone. Your oldest little boy has a fascination with the character born of an American history coloring book and repeat loop exposure to the old Disney television series. When you get to Frontierland, Daniel Boone is there all right, but he is clearly a she. Moreover, Daniel is very buxom, she wearing a short leather skirt and sporting serious cleavage. There are just enough Daniel Boone trappings, long rifle, coonskin cap, leather fringe, to put you on a kind of protected identity warning alert. This is Daniel Boone. Got it? Double dare you to disagree. Your son looks bewildered and disappointed. You are too. It feels like a cheat. There's no way to mask the grievance, but there's no way of confronting it politely either or explaining it to a child. Your little family wanders away vaguely on guard against surprise twists in mythology and history. Later in the day, your daughter, obsessed with Belle from Disney's Beauty and the Beast, wanders toward a shop featuring little girl versions of Disney princess gowns. A flamboyant fairy godmother borrows the winsome energy of the animated character. But the human being playing mom has a mustache. It's clearly a man, not even trying to appear something like a grandmother, and the grotesque counterfeit of the thing confuses your daughter. A ritual of girlhood looking for the perfect dress, the sort of quest women pursue with sisterly feminine celebration, has a big slab of pure dude dropped right in the middle of it. There's a mental stench about the thing, as though you and your child are obliged to celebrate false female as though it were all just Breck girl wholesomeness. This isn't Corporal Klinger inviting you to laugh. It's a self-obsessed performance artist demanding you and your child internally broaden your sense of female so far that it ceases to mean anything at all. A few years ago, a friend took her daughter to a Taylor Swift concert. The 12-year-old was mesmerized by Swift, and the performer went out of her way to befriend the girl. However, ridiculous Swift's political convictions may be she delivers Taylor Swift to her audience. She doesn't dress up rubbery-nosed Paul Giamatti in a spangled dress and defy her fans to embrace paunchy, balding, middle-aged as young, leith, and radiant. But in this age of fluid identity, medical students are being asked essentially to affirm an even, to affirm an even more absurd formulation, agree that a man can bear a child or be refused a medical education. 
Now, there's a lot more to this article, but uh, again, I'll invite you to, to check it out for yourself. The point here is if we don't stop this false compassion and this outrageous indulgence, it's only going to get worse. The absurdities will be too large for us to even contemplate. Imagine on the history level, Steven Spielberg populating his Saving Private Ryan landing craft with thousands of raging queens. As the young army rangers hit the beach, they wear ruby red lipstick and their hair done up in victory rolls. They are moreover full of trans female power, impervious to bullets. They just march up the cliffs in their high heels and take those pillboxes. But it's not comedy. In fact, call it comedy at your peril. Who are you to question their self-worth and their need to rewrite the historical record? Pride Rewrite Month will be there to make them feel rooted and established in history itself. Think it can't happen? He's got a good point. It is happening. Again, this is James Patrick Riley writing for American Greatness. And I, I, I don't know that I need to say this, but I'm going to say it. This is not an invitation now for you to dial the hate up and, all right, crank it to 11. Now you should feel really, really angry. More than anything, I offer this as just validation for those who recognize, whew, something here is terribly off. And I'm not even sure how to quantify it, but I think, uh, I think James Patrick Riley did a really good job, especially with the example of what, you know, what's happening at Disneyland. Good heavens, the mixed messages. I share this with you just so that you know, it's not your imagination. You are not out of step when you say, ugh, this feels wrong or this feels icky. Or that uh, my internal alarm about uh, this feels wicked. You know, it's, it's going off. It is. Your perception is, is right on. And yes, you might be out of step with, with some in society. I don't know that it's a majority of society. Honestly, I think the majority of society is likely intimidated to the point that they just don't dare speak up because they know, you know there's a price to be paid for doing so. But you're not alone. Right is still right. Wrong is still wrong. Light is still light. Darkness is darkness. Boys are boys. Girls are girls. And there's nothing in between. This is The Brian Hyde Show.